0: Hello, 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 amazing, amazing people. This is Catherine LaRange with My Dead Dragon, and I wanted to extend a very special invitation to you for my live full day virtual Vision Ignition Immersion event that's happening on October. 16th, 2021. And one of the first steps in becoming the heroine and main character of your life is figuring out what's important to you, what that dream is that's seeking to emerge and what this one precious life is inviting you to become. And that's what this day is all about. It's about supporting you in creating that authentic vision for what you would love your life to look like and sharing tools and tips and little known strategies to help you get there. So registration is now open and you can find the link in my show notes and through my social media accounts. And I am so excited to see you there on October 16th. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, everyone, whenever you're listening to this. This is Catherine Laranger, your host of the My Dead Dragon podcast. And today I have a very special guest. I am in conversation with Dr. Sue Carter Collins, or Dr. Sue, who is an author, a speaker, and a greatness life coach. She speaks on a variety of topics related to self-empowerment, spirituality, spiritual resilience, and the imposter syndrome. She is an ordained metaphysical minister, an intuitive channel, and a master synergistic energy healer. Dr. Sue is certified in multiple healing modalities, including Reiki, Pranic and mindfulness meditation. She is also the author of return to self five steps to emotional and spiritual freedom, which is available on Amazon and the owner of the synergistic healing center of Atlanta, where the mission is empowering women and transforming lives one spirit at a time. So, welcome to the show dr sue i am um as we were kind of chatting before we started recording i am so (laughs) <laughs> eager for our conversation after learning a little bit more about you, and I'm, I'm, I'm just um, so excited for for the message that you're going to share, and the wisdom um, that you'll be able to impart to to the listeners. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you could start out by sharing your story and and
1: how you got to where you are today. Hi, Catherine. It is such a pleasure to be here. I am so excited. Hi, Catherine's audience. How are you? (laughs) This is absolutely phenomenal. Before I talk about me, can I say that I love the name of your podcast. I Mm. just love, 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 love it. (laughs) Yay! So pretty cool. Pretty cool.
0: Mm, Thank you.
1: Okay. So, um, most of your guests, guests probably don't start at this point, but I will. Um, I'm 70 years old. Thank you for saying I don't look like it. Thank you, thank you.
0: <laughs> I, I know my my brain was like, wow, like I we need to have a conversation after the show about how that is possible.
1: <laughs> so I've been around for a little while and my story actually goes back to being the the child. I was the second girl in a family of 10 children, so I was the third youngest, right? Mm. And my dad, when I was about a year old, my dad went to prison for murder. And my mom, who had all of these children, um, who had never really worked outside of the home because she was too busy uh, yeah. having babies, taking yeah. care of babies, And so when she, when he went to prison, then she had to learn how to work, go to work. And my mom only had at that point, a third grade education because she grew up in Alabama. And when it was time for her to go to school, she had to pick cotton in the fields and she only got to go to school if the weather was really, really bad. So she managed to have to get through the third grade in a one room school house. Right. And so. Um, my mom's my hero. She's deceased now, but she is just absolutely phenomenal. And I remember one time she said, um, if I had an education, and in parentheses, we'll say, and if I was a white man, right? Uh-huh, Let's be real about that. <laughs> yeah. I could be president, right? Yeah. And I, she, she just had such wisdom. But that, that, like is the foundation. And honestly, as as much as this probably sounds weird, perhaps to some of your audience, we grew up in a pretty much insulated black community. So I didn't know white people. I didn't have any contact with that world. We went to all black schools. Um, we had the corner grocery store. We, everything was contained in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I was a smart kid. Let me just say, I was a really, really smart kid. Mm-hmm. And then in ninth grade, I shifted and I went to Gainesville high, which was an all white school. Wow. At the for the second year of into the integration, freedom of choice movement. Wow! So my high school had 3,000 students, and there were 18 African-Americans. It was like a grain of pepper being dropped into a sea of salt. Yeah. We were not wanted. It was very obvious that we weren't wanted. And so it was a very, very difficult time. Mm -hmm. And I went from being the smart kid to Uh being very, very... Self-conscious, very self-contained, very. I didn't think I knew Mm -hmm. anything. I, at had I stayed at my my high school, which I'll call it the Black High School, had Mm -hmm. I stayed there, I probably would have either been valedictorian or salutatorian. Mm -hmm. But when I was dropped into this sea of whiteness, Mm -hmm. all of that disappeared not because my intellect changed, but because it was a different environment. It wasn't nurturing. And in fact, it was very hostile. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I don't want it to seem like it was all bad because I will say because of our financial situation, because of our socioeconomic background, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We we didn't have funds for me to go to school. Mm -hmm. And I haven't shared this with anybody, I'm not here. I am sharing it with the whole world. Uh, (laughs) Holding sacred space for your story. Thank you. There was an incident at my high school where three of my friends and I were standing down. It was lunch period. And so we're standing downstairs. Three white males went upstairs and they dropped balloons filled with water down on us. And that was just one of the incidents that happened. And it made me so angry. And one of my friends had a little pocket knife, which she probably shouldn't have had, mm. but I was so angry and I said, give it to me and I'm gonna stab him, right? Yeah. And so he came down because he was he was bully bully, right? Yeah. And I was just furious. And someone ran and got the teacher who came out before any damage was done. Mm. I share that only because, because of that incident, I had an opportunity to meet with the guidance counselor, Mrs. Henderson, Mm -hmm. whom I had never met with before. Yeah. And she said, you're different. Mm -hmm. You're different. I'm not going to cry. I brought my tissue. Oh, I have always, (laughs) and for people who can't see, I always have a big box of (laughs) tissue right here. Tears. You're different. And she said, um. Are you going to, what are your plans? Are you going to college? And I said, we can't afford to go to college. Uh, I can't afford to go to college. Now, mind you, my mama was saying, my mama was saying, God will make a way. And I'm looking around, like at this point, I'm a senior in high school. I'm looking around. I don't see no God and I don't see no way. right? because my mom is working at this point and she's making $25 a week, Wow! right? So I'm going to college on that.
0: (laughs) God better find a bigger way.
1: (laughs) Yes. So Mrs. Henderson, the day of that incident, she said, I want you to go home, take this letter. I have to tell your mother what happened. You go home, you tell her what happened. You come back tomorrow. Now, the other kids who were involved in the incident were suspended. Let's see how God works. The next day, I went back and she said, You sit down. I'm going to help you apply for these scholarships. Aww. And as a result of that, I was accept- accepted into two colleges. Uh, I, re- I was on the waiting list for a third, which is Florida State University, that I really wanted to go to. And I had already accepted going to one Florida Seven, and probably about oh man a month after I got accepted in Florida Seven, Florida State had created this program called Horizons Unlimited, mm-hmm. and so they so they had accepted someone who declined, and I came in. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Henderson was a member of the women's club. She and her club members bought me luggage they bought me clothes and they gave me money oh so oh. you know my <laughs> oh, all the feelings <laughs> yes uh, that's where that's where i started from and i'm not going to go as much in detail with the other things but um that's the background but but growing up and see this is a little uh, especially in the black community we don't talk about colorism but in the black community in my family my father was dark, dark, dark. Mm. My mother was what they would call a red bone, more yellowish, Mm. because she had Native American in her, more yellowish red. I'm right in the middle in Mm. terms of the color. My Mm. younger brother and my older brother are extremely light. Mm. And so within the family, there there were the negative things being said. We didn't realize how hurtful they were, but they nevertheless were impacting us. And so, yeah. when I went to the high school, I felt like no one understood. No one understood what I was doing every day. They didn't know what I had to deal with. Yeah. I always considered myself and the other students, who black students, we took one for the team, babe girl. We took oh, one for the team. You did. And and by that, I mean we were on the cutting edge of integration, the civil rights movement as it pertains to integration of high schools. Wow. When, I, went, when I, I, I finished that, got the, uh, the scholarship to Florida State University, um, there were 43 students, African-American students in my class. We were the largest class they had ever admitted. There were 18,000 students. there. Subsequently, when I went to, for my master's program, it was a new program out of Rollins College, all white males, except one black male, one white female, and myself.
0: Wow. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Oh my goodness.
1: Then when I went back for the law school, my law degree, there were Six students there when we arrived. My class was the largest class they had ever admitted. There were 22 of us. Wow. After that, when I went to my other program, which was more recently, ah, so diverse. What a breath of air,
0: <laughs> fresh air. I can feel you relax <laughs> as you say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, so it's, yeah. um, it was very difficult. And and one of the things, one of the questions I, uh, I think you asked was, when did you know mm. that no one or nothing was coming to save you? Yeah. And my response, and I said, I pray that she does not think this is cavalier. No one, I've never had a sense that anyone was coming yeah. to save me. Yeah. I am blessed in that people did come to support me and help mm. me. Mm-hmm. I accept that but for God, which is what I believe in, yeah. no offense to anyone else, but I I I, I believe in God. So yes. but for God, I would not have had the experiences that I've had and would not have been able to do the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. Now that said, growing up black in the deep south as mm-hmm. a girl in a world where Boys are prized and girls are viewed as less than. How to yeah. put it into a white world where I look around and I am one grain of pepper and a sea yeah. of salt. Yeah. I had self-esteem issues. Oh, yeah. And, and I had self-confidence issues. Yeah. Despite all of my accomplishments, I never felt that I was good enough. Mm. I never felt that I... New enough. Yeah, I never felt that I was pretty enough. Hmm. Uh, I wasn't in in a in a world. You know, my background is in criminal justice. I I didn't even talk about that part yeah, of I'm it. Like, what what? <laughs> criminal, what criminal justice? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wait, <there's> um, <laughs> so much more. So I spent more than forty years in criminal justice, starting out as a correctional officer, working as a deputy. Um, I was an investigator with the public defender's office, I worked as an appellate attorney for the public defender's office, a prosecuting attorney uh, for the, the for the state attorney's office. I was the Tallahassee Police Department's first legal advisor. I was with them for eight years until I decided that I just couldn't handle some stuff that was happening in terms of police community relations, and then I went back to school and got that PhD. Mm. Um, but Even with that, I still was on the cutting edge in terms of what I was doing. I was one of the first people, men or women, to go around the country training on uh, sexual harassment Mm -hmm. and the the occurrence of that in law enforcement agencies. Mm -hmm. I also, even before racial profiling became a popular topic of conversation, I was going around the country training police officers who were very hostile because Mm -hmm racial profiling didn't exist right and yeah. here's here's a black woman on the stage telling us that we primarily a room full of white males yeah that we yeah. engage in profiling so yeah. uh, that's really kind of where I came from and I never I never had a mentor hmm. who knowing let me let me reframe that I never had a mentor who knew that hmm. he was my mentor my career path cut across agencies rather than going straight up because there was no place for someone like me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I would look at the successful men, so few women, but I'd look at the successful men and see what they were doing, read what they were doing, trying, not necessarily trying to emulate their energy, but their confidence. Right. And so I was really good in doing that on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a very lonely yeah
0: that feels hollow right and and really from a young age that knowledge that no one is coming to save you you know and and also not being able to believe in the fairy tale yeah. right that oh if I just do this or if I just look this way or get this degree or act in this way well then that thing is going to come and save me like to actually be on that cutting edge mm-hmm. where no one's coming to save me and I can't even pretend to believe that that's an option for me
1: no <laughs> happy ever after and
0: and 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 also really having such phenomenal you know and I'm air quoting here results and success when you know the kind of world looks at you and says like wow you've done all these things and yet inside kind of feeling like and 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 i'm i'm you know i'm a caucasian woman so i i can't i can't speak to being an african-american woman or a woman of color or person of color but what i've heard is is that especially when you're on that cutting edge there's this idea that you need to represent your entire community right so you can't mess up and you can't maybe show up as you authentically are or want to be because so much is
1: on the line you got to get it all right yeah. all the time yeah all the time yeah. and so as a woman it's not just a, as a black woman mm-hmm. it's not just a matter of getting it right for the race it's getting it right for other black women yeah Right. So we have the race, but we have other black women. But we also expand because we have other women as well, because the positions that I held, I was on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if I screwed up, yeah. nobody's no one is coming behind me. Or if they do there, wow. the task would be extremely difficult for them. Wow. So how did you carry that? Well, <laughs> I cried a lot in the beginning. Yeah, my mom was my um, she was my source of support and strength because I could share with her what was she didn't understand it, yeah. but she loved me right and she could support me in that way. And I knew that she was praying for me. Um, but my mom passed in 1988. I had been at the police department two years then. I. Um, I divorced my son's uh, father. And so it was just my son and me. And when my mom um, when my mom passed, even though we come from a large family, we're not necessarily close. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that was really, really, that was rock bottom. Uh, and honestly, um, at that point, the only, I think that had I not, no, I know. Mm-hmm. Had I not had my son to live for, I would have taken my life, yeah. um, because she was my anchor, yeah. and I would, <laughs> I would call her. You know, she had, she got such joy out of seeing me and and knowing my accomplishments. But she didn't, she didn't live long enough to see, yeah. so much of what I wanted her to see but as a fun note to lighten it up, uh, I would buy clothes, right. Uh, I lived in Tallahassee and she lived in Gainesville, Florida. So I would go shopping three times a year and I'd buy all these clothes. I'd buy everything. And I pack them all up in the car, my son and I, Mm -hmm. and we would drive to Gainesville and I'd put on the fashion show. (laughs) So fun. And, and, and I would have such fun because I would say to her, as my hair was long. or well, I have no hair now, but my <laughs> hair was long. <laughs> and I would say to her, oh, you know, I got to have it all together because somebody might be looking at me. <laughs> and that was a reference to really one of her words of wisdom, which is you never know who's watching you, but someone always is. You have to carry yourself in a way that you're always at your best and that you always are setting a good example. Because even when you're not aware of their presence, there are people who are watching you. And that was kind of the way we grew up, knowing that. We had to be on our best behavior. Now, yeah. now that's not to say that we did it all right, because we did what kids yeah. do. You know, yeah. nobody does. Out of sight, right. you know, we think yeah. we can do it. We 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 did what we thought we could get away with without getting caught. <laughs> but 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 the the teaching was mm. always be on your best behavior. Mm. And so I say that because as we're talking now. If you don't mind, I'll shift some into yeah. the self-love. Yeah. As we're talking about self-love, uh, one of the things I think that does is focus your attention outward mm-hmm. externally mm-hmm. as opposed to inward. And so you care or I cared more about what other people thought of me mm-hmm. than I did what than yeah. I thought of myself. Yeah. I didn't know me, Yeah. but I didn't know that I didn't know me. Yeah
0: you know when okay so how did you come to realize that you didn't know that you didn't know you because i think that that is i think that's going to resonate a lot for a lot of listeners
1: honey Mm. you don't want to do it the way i did. (laughs) okay listening audience i'm going to be real real Y'all don't want to do it the way I did it, yeah. but I'm going to do tell as you I how. Say it, I did
0: not it. as I do
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. because I was alone. I was very lonely. Mm. I knew that there was something different. I didn't know what it was, and more importantly, I didn't know how to get to it. Mm. I found myself in a relationship, in a, a series of relationships over a period of time, but. I was always giving, giving, giving to the other person. I didn't know. I thought that was love, right? Uh, I thought that was what you do. Yeah. And it is. But what I learned is you got to love yourself first. Why are you loving? Why are you giving love to this person? Why are you giving your everything to this person so that you have nothing for yourself? Mm-hmm. Right? So that was the way I lived with all of my relationships. I I had four long-term relationships in my life. Mm. And in each one of them, I gave my all. Mm. But then when it was over, I felt so empty. I felt, yeah. I don't know, why am I doing the same thing over and over? Yeah. One of the reasons that I say don't do what I did, I I drowned my aloneness, my loneliness in alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't realize... In the beginning that I was on that slippery slope, Mm. I went to work, I came home, I went to work, I worked hard, Mm -hmm. I came home, I walked in the door, I kicked off my shoes, if any of y'all out there can hear yourself, just pay pay close attention, I kicked off my shoes, I went to the kitchen, I got a glass, got my little wine glass, I poured Chardonnay, which was my drink of choice, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to have one little drink. Mm. Now, mind you, being totally transparent, this little drink was a goblet. Yeah. Which (laughs) was which was a full goblet, right? And so I'll just have two drinks. Well, now that's a half a bottle. That's a half a liter. Might as well
0: finish it off.
1: Yep. And so over a period of time, I had just gotten into that habit. But I was telling myself, Mm. I can stop. I can stop anytime I want to. And I could stop initially anytime I want to. And then I realized one day I was at the university. I'm a retired professor, emeritus associate professor. And so I was at the university and I passed one of my colleagues in the hallway. And I said to her, When are we going out drinking? And she said, Give me a call and we'll set a time. And it was like, I stopped dead in my tracks because I realized I don't really know this woman, but every time we talk, we're talking about going out drinking. And every time I talk, say something to her, it starts with, when are we going out drinking? That was so eye-opening. Um, in that moment, I didn't, I didn't want to believe what I knew. Because at that point I also had gotten to the point of realizing that I could not stop drinking if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. There was a time that I could have, but I couldn't. Yeah. And what after that, what I began to see happen is that the period between all of my boundaries began to be compromised. Mm. Initially, I would not drink before six o'clock. Mm. Then it was four. Mm. Then at two o'clock, my body is now craving alcohol. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And at that point, I, I didn't know when that shift had occurred. But once the shift occurs, you're there. You are fully, mm. actively an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what an alcoholic was. I thought it was a homeless person. I was not um, you know, not to offend homeless people because yeah, I understand yeah. we all get have different circumstances, but I just thought it was somebody who was homeless or like when I was a kid, there was this lady, she and her husband lived across the street from us. They would get drunk on Friday and they would fight Friday and Saturday, and then they'd mm-hmm. go to work on Sunday on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't me. Yeah. I was gainfully employed. I had two cars in my driveway. I had a nice two-story home. Um, I, you know, I am, I'm doing it from all outward appearances. Mm. I'm at the top of my game inside, totally, totally bankrupt, Mm. spiritually bankrupt, got nothing. Right. And so when I realized that, then I, at that point, I made a decision. I'm going to stop drinking, but I couldn't hold the decision. I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, It's an addition. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't will it. Um, Every day I would say, I'm not going to drink. And then I'd get, I I, I live in the suburbs. So I take the train in, I get on the train and I'm now, I'm thinking, I'm going to go by the store. No, I'm not going by the store. I'm going to go straight home. Mm-hmm. And I, my car would drive to the store. Mm-hmm. One day I was in the store in Publix and the cashier said, um, you drink a lot of Red Bull, which I was bad, bad, bad for you. But I was, drinking. I was horrible to my body. You know, self-love is about loving all of you. I was horrible. And so she said, you drink a lot of Red Bull. You should consider uh, just buying it wholesale, right? And I thought, oh my gosh, she knows I drink a lot of Red Bull. She also knows that I drink wine a lot. So then I started doing, I didn't know that this was what alcoholics do. Mm -hmm. I started changing stores, changing locations. And then one night I was sitting in my home and I thought, I didn't drink and drive, but one night I was sitting in my home and I thought, I will, I can just drive through the store. It's only three blocks. And that was when I knew Mm. I I have to do something. Mm. And so my sobriety date is July um, 12th, July 17th, I'm sorry, 2012. I have been sober for nine years just past July. I am grateful thank you so yeah. it was hard journey the first year that part of the story leads into how i became a life coach because at the end of that first year in the program i was looking for a goal i got to have something otherwise i get my my mind is too active yeah. got to have yeah. something that's going to challenge me and so that took me into life coaching which then once i was in there the people the the um the instructors, the other students, there were only four of us and, and four students, and they were all women. And um, so they were all, they all had a background in metaphysics and spirituality. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. didn't really, but I had had yeah. some things happen early on in terms of yeah. seeing and knowing things. Yeah. And in that, in that class, my gifts began to open up. Mm-hmm. And very fortunately, because of who my peers were, it was, I was supported. It was a safe space. Mm -hmm. It was a space where I knew that, no, you're not crazy because you are hearing something or because you Mm -hmm. can see something about this person or because you can connect with them and finish their sentences. You're not crazy. Mm -hmm. Because I was saying to myself, hmm, I hear voices. Schizophrenics hear voices.
0: Right.
1: Uh,
0: yeah,
1: Yeah, that's not a <laughs> yeah Yeah, yeah. Claire, not a Claire good audience. Theme. Claire audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know that kind of one of the things I in. After things begin to open up in that way with my, my spiritual gifts, I did what we typically do or what I typically do. I just immerse myself in every modality that I could possibly mm-hmm. get to or find out about any kind of way. Uh, ultimately, though, what I might my primary modality that I use now is synergistic energy healing mm-hmm. and what that is. I had no clue. People would ask me, well, what do you do? what is this thing that you do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's just this thing that I do. Because it's not and they say, well, it's not Reiki and it's not chronic. Well, no, I don't know what it is. But one night I had a dream and I, I don't even think it was a dream, but God said to me, synergistic healing, write it down. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll remember, no, get up now and write it down. Yeah. And so I got up, I wrote it down. Good thing I did because I wouldn't have remembered um, <laughs> when I got up the next morning and I'm looking at it and I'm going, I don't even know what that, that is. Synergistic energy healing. I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm your Google girl. I was yeah. I googled it immediately. Not I just talk about that? Mm-mm. I found one woman who was doing it and she was in England one moment, And I listened to her and I said, Oh my God, that's what I do. Uh, what it means is that, you know, when you think of synergy, uh, when you bring, use two things together, then you have uh, an impact that is so much greater than either of those things alone. Wow. And so when I'm working with my clients, whether coaching or otherwise, or even doing Reiki, um, any energy healing, once I connect with them on that higher consciousness level, I can read them. Sometimes I act as a, um, a medium if the energy is good. Um, so I do all kinds of things that I don't market myself as psychic because that's not the who that I choose to be. Uh, I'm a synergistic healing in, healer in that whatever I, I see myself as like a hollow to read, whatever it is that God needs me to do, I have said, I made the commitment, even verbally, I'm going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to do what you you tell me to do. I'm going to say what you tell me to say. Hmm. And so that's kind of, that's my background. I, um, my, my, my um, night in shining armor has always been source. Even in those times when I turned away, I am so grateful that I turned away from source, but source did not turn away from me, Mm -hmm. which leads me to one last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to let you have your show. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And that is that I believe that we are all one. There's only one. And there's only one, and that one appears in energetic form. As you and I sit here, even though we're in totally different locations, we are in overlapping energy fields. Mm-hmm. That is how it is that you're able to do distant healing. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is connect with the I am that is within you, and then you can connect with the I am that is within anyone else. Yeah.
0: I know that to be true as well. I know that to be true as well. And so so I'm curious... Dr. Oh. Sue with with all of that hearing hearing this amazing story of really being on that edge of discovery of, you know, segregation of being the first woman, the first black woman and as you're on that edge that you know kind of pushing pushing out you're hollowing out inside in in terms of your connection to the the true I am that's within you and so so do you feel that you're at a point in your life now where you're actually fully integrated with who it is that you came here to be? Are, are you expressing your life in that way?
1: You know, I know that others will differ and it's okay. I have learned that every person has an opinion, a perspective, and it's beautiful. That's what makes us who we are. But my perspective is that until I take my last breath, I will be evolving and becoming more and more and more. Um, I was thinking earlier about this, and I thought the process of becoming is one that is in constant a continual motion mm-hmm. with every thought. With every breath, you are changing and evolving. Even when you think that you're not. Yeah. Even when you think that I have a fixed perspective, there is some aspect or aspects of you that is changing. And so one of my favorite uh, authors, I was reading her book last night, uh, Pima Children, mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember, what's the name of the book? Uh, something about uncertain times. But I, I, I read it and I thought, God this is so good I mean I've read it multiple times but it's so good and and the so good is that we want to have a fixed point mm-hmm. as the end the goal mm-hmm. that's who we that's how we want to show up mm-hmm. that the, the fear comes from not knowing what that thing is or thinking that you know only to have it. Disintegrate or dissolve. And it's like, I put everything into this and look what happened. But what we don't look at is, well, what is the goal, the G O L D, that you got as a result of putting everything in there, right? And that really, that you, I may have thought that the purpose was to do a certain thing, but the purpose really was more to embody love. Mm -hmm. Going back Mm -hmm. to your topic about self-love, I don't believe in failure. I grew up thinking that there was failure. I grew up thinking that I had failed. Yeah. I don't believe that there's failure anymore. As a result of my background in metaphysics, I believe Mm -hmm. that we're constantly learning and that the only way to evolve really is to have those experiences that society might classify them as as failures. Mm -hmm. I'm going to encourage your audience not to do that. And the reason is you set yourself up for pain, frustration. Mm -hmm. You set yourself up to um, feel that you are less than. Mm -hmm. When we think of it as more having growth opportunities, that we're learning from those things that we try, that we're learning what not to do and how to move forward right? Then, then it becomes a more positive experience. It's all about mindset, all about mindset. And so for me, honestly, I'm still learning. I am currently uh, refining my brand in terms of who I choose to be. Um, when I talk to my friends, they say, enough, enough already. But I think that one of my friends says this thing that I really, really love, and you guys can substitute a different word for God if that's what works for you. And she says, I know who I am in the Lord, right? Yeah. And, and 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 I say to you, I know who I am in the Lord. I am a teacher. It is my purpose to heal through the spoken word, to heal through energy. And so I will, until the day, I die, I will be reading and sharing. And as I look back over my life, that is what I have always done. Beginning with helping my brother, when when my brother who was like a year older than I am, and even my brothers that came after me, beginning with helping them, teaching them, sharing with them, I have always done that. Now, I tell you, I resisted. It wasn't, I didn't understand. I didn't understand that that was my purpose. Mm -hmm. I thought, I don't want to be a teacher. I looked at it in isolation. But now I I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm 70 years old. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at not the peak, but I'm at a peak. So I can look back over my life and I can see energetically all of the threads. And I had this experience about a month ago when I was saying, okay, God, What am I doing? Because I was going live on Facebook every day. um, And I thought, I'm not real clear about the message. Giving great messages, pat myself on the back a little bit, giving great messages, but not understanding. I, I didn't have a clear strategy or a scheme for how how, what, what is the purpose of this? Right. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to pull up. So for the last couple of months, I really haven't been active on social media. This sharing with you, this is a part of my comeback. Uh, But what I, what I learned is that we are always in the river of purpose. Mm -hmm. Purpose is not a destination. Purpose yeah. is a river yeah. that you're in from the day that you're born until yeah. the day that you transition out, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything that you do, when you think about it, you someone else may say, oh, you messed up. Oh, mm-hmm. you're a failure. But no, when you look back in time, you'll see yeah. there is there are themes, there are Energetic threads that have been consistent throughout everything, and for me, it has always been helping, teaching, um, even even with the energy. I'm working on people, and I'm constantly teaching them about teaching them about the energy, teaching them how to take care of themselves. One of the last things that I did on um, the last um, social media type posts that I did before I took my what I'll call now a sabbatical was. Um, a 40-day Seth Love Feast.
0: Um.
1: And I went on Facebook for 40 days. I There were a couple of days that I missed because I had deaths in the family. But for 40 days, I went on and I said, I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I don't know what is going to show up. I'm going to take you on my journey with me as I discover and in some cases rediscover what Seth love is. Mm. And so that's what I did. And I think mm. that so many times we get so caught up in the world and in what the world says, Seth love is, we don't know what it is. Yeah. You, you will find the answer when you take the time to go within. Mm-hmm. When I woke up this morning I woke up saying because it was what I heard in my dream. Um, in order to, in order to be who you are here to be, you have to break you. You have to dissolve and disintegrate the exterior
0: mm-hmm.
1: in order to tap into the core interior. Yeah. yeah, and the exterior is all of those labels that you attach to yourself, that other people attach to you, that you think you have become. Mm -hmm. When people say to you, who are you? And you say, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm black. I'm white. I'm a female. I'm a male. That is not who you are, right? Mm -hmm. This is a journey. You want to discover the who that you be. You have to take some time away from the world Mm -hmm. and realize that Everything you think about yourself, for the most part, is something that somebody else told you. Mm-hmm. You want to know who your true self is, begin to look at those labels and to, and to separate yourself from the label. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you will cast all those labels aside. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is let us become critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Let us make the choice ourselves as to who we want to be. Yeah. Here, I I believe, I feel some preaching coming on, girl. Yeah,
0: bring it, bring it, all the preaching.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I believe that God has given us a portion of the he that God is. Mm -hmm. He, she, it, however you conceptualize Mm -hmm. it, a portion of that energy. I believe that we have greatness within us. God said to me, Greatness is your birthright. Yes. And that was so amazing to me because I never really thought about that. It's like greatness is your birthright. And it doesn't mean greatness as measured by somebody else's mm-hmm. standard. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Great, yes.
1: Greatness can be that you have decided that your purpose is to smile. Yeah. Be the best mm-hmm. smiler that you can be. Yeah. Even your own. Allow yeah. it to light your body up, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, when you smile, you it's energy. Mm-hmm. Your smile is energy. Your words are energy. The person that you smile at may not have been smiled at by anybody else yeah. that day or any day for that matter. Yeah. And when you smile, that says to him or to her, you see me. Mm -hmm. You see me. And we all just want to be seen. We all just want to be visible. So greatness, when I say greatness is your birthright, it's not my standard. It's yours. Mm -hmm. But you have to go within and decide who is the me that I want to be.
0: Yeah. And what does that greatness look like for me? Absolutely. Just like Mrs. Henderson, not knowing the impact that we have on each other and that as we step into our greatness, whatever that looks like, according to our soul's purpose, that we could be that Mrs. Henderson for other
1: people. My one regret about Mrs. Henderson is that I never got to go back and tell her the impact that she had on my life. And as a result, the impact that she has had on the lives of so many other people because of the work that I've done. I've taught thousands of students. I've touched thousands of law enforcement officers, not just here in Atlanta. I still work occasionally for the Atlanta Police Department. I still do training occasionally for Florida State University, uh, working with law enforcement officers. I still work with MARTA in their promotions process. So I am still, my fingers are still out there But here's the thing that is so amazing and so wonderful. Mrs. Henderson is behind me. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Henderson is behind me. And so as I reach out and touch, she's reaching out and touching. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. (sighs)
0: So Dr. Sue, if you could, knowing what you know now with, with the, 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 the gift of that hindsight and the wisdom, right? Because I believe that we all have a choice about the stories we tell ourselves about our life and the meaning that we make from our experiences. And we can look back and and look at situations that seem to be failures and we can actually choose what to take from those. We can find the gold, as you you said. And we can also choose not to. Mm -hmm. So for you you've obviously chosen to look back with with that with that wisdom if you could go back to that young girl going into high school that pepper in the sea of salts and let her know one thing what would that
1: be mm. for me it's all about love mm. i i would say love yourself I would say you are enough just because God, source, the universe, created you. You are enough um, because you embody greatness. You are enough because when God spoke and said, let there be, he also said, let there be you. Yeah. You have all of that. Don't let anybody, anybody tell you anything different. Don't internalize somebody else's beliefs. Mm -hmm. Understand that people, however well-meaning and intention they may be, operate within their own limitations. And when they're telling you who you can be and how you can be and who you should be, it is because they can't see anything else do not look through their eyes to see who you be look through your own eyes you're perfect just as you are
0: wow and i'm gonna invite everyone listening to really let that in because that message is for all of us yeah that's for all of us and so before we bring it in for a landing, Dr. Sue, is there is there anything else that you're feeling called to say or share any other words that need to be spoken into the space?
1: I just want to say and and, and my eyes are closed because I'm receiving. I just want to emphasize that greatness is your birthright. And to encourage you, whoever you are, wherever you may be, take a moment, internalize that, write it on a card, write it on your bathroom mirror, put it on the wall, put it on your phone, put it where you can see it. Greatness is who you are. Greatness is your birthright. Embrace
0: it. Mm, and so it is. And so it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Sue, thank you so so much for this. Um, I'm trying to find the right word here. This um, this conversation, this amazing, powerful, impactful, uh, deep, honest, authentic conversation. And I'm I'm so appreciative that you've taken the time to share your story and your wisdom and your journey with myself and with my listeners. And for those of you who are listening, as always, I love hearing from you. I love hearing how the stories of the women I'm connecting with are impacting you, they're resonating for you. And so please reach out on social media, let me know. Um, Let me know how how this has impacted you. And until next time, have an amazing day. And as Dr. Sue says, greatness is your birthright.